to you by our friends of the British Council. Hey everybody and welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy here at the Fantasy Sports Network, Studio 34 in New York City. And we have our usual selection of rugby legends on uh, on with us today. Mr. George Hook, the Irish legend, renaissance man, coach, businessman, pundit, calling in from Ireland. Hello, George. Hi there. Not great pundit after last week, but I'm going to defend it. <laughs> That's all right. We have, we're going to have a, the gloating, uh, which is very uncharacteristic for Mr. Martin Pengelly of the uh, Guardian U.S., Martin, you were three for three for three last week. Three for three. I'm not going to gloat though because I'm English. So why would I gloat? <laughs> You're allowed to gloat on this program. Let's get right to it. We have Mr. Steve Lewis also via remote, but we've got uh, some some issues once again with the uh, the live feed over at the oh, Pig and Whistle. Stephen, hello. All right, Steve. Yeah, we, we're definitely having some trouble with you, so let's let's get you sorted and get some questions from you out of the way. Hey, everybody. Hello to my Scottish brethren and everyone else out there. And let's start with Les Lumières de Vendredi Soir, or uh, Friday Night Lights, as we say here in America. Go ahead. Okay, the melee in Marseille. Is that what you want to talk about? So uh, France got themselves back together, 34-17. Not a great game of rugby, but... Um, they powered through and it was more comfortable than probably that scoreline suggests at the end. So rumours of the demise of French rugby are greatly exaggerated, although I know that's George's favourite theme these days. But um, the French are alive, They're not, uh, the crisis is not averted necessarily, but they do. there's a pulse. They're alive and they've got two weeks to figure out what to do with uh, England coming in their neck of the woods. Right, George, you just heard Steve Lewis kind of throw you under the bus by saying that uh, you and others reported the French demise, and that is greatly exaggerated. Well, of course, Mark Twain beat Steve Lewis to the punch when he <laughs> said uh, reports of my death were greatly exaggerated. Um, you can hardly say French rugby is back when they just about beat Italy. And for a substantial period of the game, Italy will win it. This isn't France back. Uh, beating Italy, I must say I thought Italy uh, would win. They played a lot better than they have in the first two games. They are now unlikely to win before the end of the tournament, and I feel sorry for my friend Conor O'Shea, but they are getting better. There's no question. And France are getting worse, despite Mr. Lewis on his <laughs> tartan track running loony. Steve, you couldn't hear George, but... Um... A French win at home versus Italy is not exactly something to write home about. You're right. I think that does a bit of a disservice to the Italians, though. I mean, they are, that's a competent outfit. Conor is a terrific coach. Um, yes, they're bottom dwellers right now, and they have it's, it's resources, right? It's number of players and it's number of resources. You can't really take it out on, a, on the Italians. But the, the point is, there's enough talent in French rugby. When they do get their act together, they're a force. Right now, they've had on-field shambles, off-field shambles, but there's a pulse. They're still alive. they got two games to go. Okay, yeah, all right. Their pulse is still alive. Let's, let's move on. How about Ireland-Wales? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I predicted, got it right for once, uh, a close Ireland win, and it was. It was, uh, it was a battle all the way. Again, not really a classic. Um, you know, 30-27, and that late interception put a bit of gloss on it for Ireland. So 
So yes, they won. Yes, Ireland are in pole position going forward. Uh, it just shows what this competition competition is now. I mean, it's just every week, you know, any given Saturday, any given Sunday, something turns up. Okay. Uh, gentlemen, you know, Steve is just blocks away from Hell's Kitchen. And Hell's Kitchen is the place where the, the Westies or the Irish Mafia kind of cut their uh, teeth. Steve, uh, any shot that maybe one of the Westies paid off the... Uh, the Welshman to throw that errant pass, that tragically errant pass. They were just no. They were just chasing the game. Speculative pass. Irish pounced on it. The Westies are long gone in this city. <laughs> All right, fair enough, uh, Steve. I know that you're very busy on Saturdays, uh, and you you had to spend a couple of three hours watching Ireland beat Wales. Did you catch the Scottish match? Yeah, yeah, managed to fit it in. So uh, here on time, ready, raring to go. And uh, what a day it was, what a game it was for Scotland. So it's um, sweet redemption uh, for Gregor Townsend, his charges. Wasn't, uh, wasn't a close game. Wasn't anything to do with the weather. Wasn't an interception. This was a game Scotland took to England from the word go, dominated and deserved to win. So a fantastic day. All right, gentlemen, you just heard him say it was sweet Redemption for Gregor Townsend. George? Well, there was an interesting thing about Saturday. You had two teams who both have had Andy Farrell as their defence coach. Ireland and previously England. And they were indisputably the two worst defensive teams uh, of the weekend. Uh, I think six times Jamie Joseph was exposed in defence. Your tragic errant pass, it may have been tragic, it was about four inches of being perfect. If that pass, and I know if's a big word, but Stockdale defends like Pearl Harbor. <laughs> and all, all that Anscombe pass had to do was to hit the two-man overlap and Wales were victors. And it is extraordinary, the fake news by Mr. Pangeli's pals in the media that Stockdale, who is the worst defender on an Irish wing in 25 years, gets away scot-free for an appalling defensive error, but happily he intercepted. Martin, I have to give you a chance to weigh in here. Well, um, how does one weigh in with such a... Uh, accusation. I mean, um, <laughs> I'm just trying to work it out. I mean, St yeah, Stockdale, Stockdale's not not the sharpest defender in the box. I'm thinking 25 years. I'm trying to think back. That means 1993. Uh, top of my head, there's been some pretty ropey Irish wings in the mid 90s. But yeah, um, I think defense. I think I think defense. A, a defense coach's job is a is a tricky one. I would say. I mean, Sean Edwards is regularly seen as one of the best defence coaches, and Wales have periods when they let in a lot of tries. Um, that interception pass, uh, George said, it's if is a big word, an inch is a big distance. It was, you know, one more inch, two more inches, Wales win, whole different story. Yeah, we could also say the same thing about Wales getting robbed by the uh, non-try call against England, right? So... Finn Russell, Steve, we beat you up pretty good, a uh, couple of us on on this program about you, uh, Finn Russell, and you staunchly defended him. Sweet redemption for Finn Russell. Um, there's a reason Racing are offering him 
mega, 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 mega dollars, right? The kid can play. Um, he did have a, fuck, a, a, a rough first two go-rounds. Uh, Townsend showed a great deal of faith in him, picking him, and he was on fire from the first minute. Ball from hand, decisions, the right mixture of taking a chance and being accurate. And he really sparked a terrific performance. You guys didn't hear this, but he says that's why Rassing is paying him the big bucks, George. Well, I, I mean, did Russell have a good match? They're, like, as Martin knows, there are no better place for sport, for cliches than the sporting press. So the idea that you can only play what's in front of you clearly applies to Russell. England defensively were terrible. Eddie Jones still cannot work out and believe who his number 10 is and who his number 12 is. In contrast, one has to say to Gregor Townsend, who places his faith in Russell and Russell delivered for him. But Scotland play a game of rugby that is either all duck or no dinner. Either they win because they play some super stuff or they're beaten. So therefore, they're going to come double next week. Townsend has looked at the Irish defence, which has all the tenacity of rice pudding, <laughs> and he's going to look at the Irish defence, and he's going to say, we can take these guys out wide any time we like. Gatlin knew that. France knew that. Everybody knows that. And that's because of the way Farrell and his boss, Schmidt, who this week described Farrell as a world-class defensive coach. Uh, I, I just, words fail me. I just have nothing left to say. If somebody can say Farrell is a world-class defensive coach and he lets in eight tries in three games, three tries against the worst team in the championship, namely Italy. Well, a couple of pigs just flew, fly, flew by here in the studio because you said you were speechless. So that's number one. <laughs> number two, you mentioned Farrell and tenacity. And I want to go to the real story here, which was the brouhaha in the, in the pre-match. Steve, you want to give us your skinny on the brouhaha there? My take. Um, some pre-game banter in the tunnel, apparently. That's... Uh, you know, he's always cast as a villain in any Scottish pantomime, but Owen Farrell, of course, at the centre of it. Um, both teams and managers and coaches and players have played this down, but the Six Nations have requested a report. And interestingly enough, today in social media, there's some fan film that came out where you can clearly see Mr. Farrell um, perhaps provoked, perhaps incited, but certainly making the first move and uh, being a little bit naughty. That having been said, the other protagonist apparently is Ryan Wilson. Ryan Wilson, Scottish number eight, who is um, no choir boy, shall we say. Handbags at dawn. <laughs> Handbags before dawn, Martin. Um, entirely correct. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. Everyone is, you know, the likes of me in the media, as George says, will try and make that into something. It's rugby. It's confrontational. It's ten tension before kickoff. Nothing. George, handba handbags before dawn. The one thing professional rugby developed was a, a lack of intellectual quotient in the participants. <laughs> uh, the average professional footballer, if his intellectual quotient dropped three points, he'd be a dandelion. 
So I am not remotely surprised that they carry on with some horse manure in the tunnel, which is absolutely irrelevant. Uh, we've seen this all the way back to Martin Johnson, who thought he was more important than the president of Ireland. You're not going to go bankrupt betting against the stupidity of the average rugby player. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, we, oh, go ahead, Martin. I was just going to say something facetious about that Martin Johnson moment being one of the proudest moments in English history, but that would be <laughs> purely facetious. Well, how about Ronan O'Gara not shaking the Queen's hand? Touche, baby. I'm with him. All right. Okay. So, uh, and Steve is going crazy. He's he's over there. I know, Steve. You you're 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 giddy. You're about about this win. So let's go to you with your uh, Steve's keys for the Scotland victory. Go ahead. So one of the key reasons for Scotland's victory um, for me breakdown was uh, preeminent all day long. Scotland, you know, outthought them, outfought them, dominated the breakdown. I think there were ten turnovers. I mean, John Barclay had three clean ones himself. Ryan Wilson had two, even Finn Russell got a, uh, got a turnover at a breakdown. So to have 10 turnovers at a breakdown, allied to 13 penalties, that's 23 possessions for England. It also points to something perhaps uh, where England go from here. The selection of that back row, Nathan Hughes, a bruiser at number eight, Rob Shaw, he's a six and a half, he's not really a seven, and then Courtney Lawless, who's a second row playing in the back row. They were, they were completely completely beaten left right and center all day long by Barkley Hamish Watson and Ryan Wilson uh you want to take this one since you're the tallest one here I'll happily take it and I'll take it as the tallest one and also as in my playing days which were a long time ago a second row who thought he was a six and wasn't um <laughs> Courtney Laws is not a six in a game like that where you have two excellent Scottish flankers all over the ball the key moment for me in the game, or the key illustrative moment in the game, was when Sam Underhill came on, and I think one of his first acts, possibly his first act, was to win a penalty at the breakdown by getting over the ball and getting his hands on it, exactly like Barkley and Watson were doing. He ruined it by getting himself binned. He could have been red-carded for that shoulder charge, and it wouldn't have been much of an argument. England, the back row was embarrassing. They just got beaten. I was getting... I was trying to edit the news. Uh, I was hoping the Democrats wouldn't release their... Pfizer memo until after the game, which very kindly they didn't do. And I was shouting and causing some funny looks from my sub-editors at Barkley and Watson, and I was shouting fearsome abuse, and that is a sign of respect, because nobody was dealing with them. They weren't sent flying into the stand, which they had to be. They weren't. They weren't being at their own game until too late. That's where the, for me, where the result Coach? Happened. Well, the problem, and, and Martin demonstrated extraordinary rugby knowledge by remembering the Ireland team of 1993. But <laughs> nevertheless, um, there is a, the, the, the memory of people for this game. They think rugby was formed when professionalism started. Instead of, it was formed 150 years ago. Scottish rugby has been based on, I was going to say nymphomaniacs, but I mean <laughs> kleptomaniacs on kleptomaniacs in the background. Mm. You go back to Jim Telfer's era, you go back to Ian McGeekin's era, you go to all the great periods of Scottish dominance. It was formed on the basis of a back row and halfbacks. They are true to their tradition. Uh, one, in one of our earliest programs, uh, Peter Jackson said, this is now Monsters Incorporated. <laughs> and what Eddie Jones is doing is just simply 
picking the biggest guys with the smallest brains and putting them out on white shirts. And he will not get anywhere doing that. So I, I, we're basically saying that maybe perhaps the greatest coach that's ever been invented made some mistakes this weekend, right? If you want to call him the greatest coach that's ever been invented, yes. Well, just ask him. Well, what mistakes did Gregor Townsend make? He's the greatest. No, player. I'm talking. Whoa, <laughs> whoa! I see what you did there. All right, Steve. Uh, Steve, we're going to let you go, but um, this tournament, guys, could come down to the wire, uh, and with a couple of you know, this is has been a tournament of inches, as we we were discussing earlier. Could the disallowed try uh, that Wales definitely scored, Steve, be a factor in this tournament? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it more, it's more bonus points than points differential. I mean, I think bonus points will come into play first. Um, some people are for that, some are against it, but that's what it's coming down to. We, we don't have one team completely dominant. Uh, everyone's slipped up. Scots have lost one, Welsh have lost one, England's lost one. Ireland are in pole position. Uh, but if, if the Scots trip them up in two weeks' time, then it's very much bonus points and points differential. You're right. Then individual decisions become very important. All right, Stephen. Uh, we'll let you go now. Uh, safe travels. Take it easy. Gentlemen, Steve's, Steve's gone. You heard him say that um, <clears throat> it could be a factor, the try in a, in a bonus, point, bonus point situation. But, George, your Ireland team is in the driver's seat, despite the fact uh, that you haven't been picking them. Well, uh, I mean, uh, it was Napoleon who asked about a general. Was he lucky? I mean... You've got to ask Joe Schmidt for the lottery ticket numbers because there has never been a luckier coach ever, to co amateur or professional, to coach Ireland. I mean, if there was any justification about how Ireland are playing and how their opponents are playing, Ireland would have one win against Italy and two losses. Uh, so I'm confident that he will go out win the Grand Slam, uh, a press corps in Ireland that are terrified to say a word against him will uh, uh, elevate him to Pope Francis levels, uh, and he will go on to greater things. I have no doubt. <laughs> All right. We're getting the uh, – unfortunately, we're, we're done here today, but I want to get your final thoughts. Uh, Martin, let's go with you. Uh, my final thought would be, if I could just mention the, um, the Courtney Law's tackle and the knock-on again because it's been in my it's been bugging me um letter of the law it was a knock-on right call but he didn't play the ball he wasn't trying to play the ball as in he was making a tackle and i'm also english so i was very very no. frustrated <laughs> very frustrated to see that i mean i know it was correct it was a knock-on but so what are you trying to say then? what i'm trying to say is we have a game now that is the laws are all interpreted in terms of is there any reason I can't award a try or any reason I can award a try? We try and award tries. We try and re reward things. Everyone, everything like the stupid forward pass rule is interpreted to encourage calling scores. it back, right, well. not calling it back. And that was called back, and it was a knock-on, but it, he wasn't playing the ball. He was absolutely hammering the man. I mean, Laws is not a flanker, but he can't have tackle, and it was a wonderful tackle. It was just purely unlucky, yeah. I think, that moment, and it was very frustrating for me, even though, yeah, right call. You know, I tend to agree with you, but the, but, but by the rule of the law, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a knock-on. But, yeah. but, but George, how about uh, looking into that? Because it was, a, it was a great hit. I mean, the guy wasn't going for the ball, right? 
I, I despair of TMOs, I must say. I think they're a blight on the game. I think referees were supposed to make mistakes. Players were supposed to make mistakes. If we televised every game over a century of rugby, there were probably, on average, one mistake per match in that period. The Welsh guy who swore he scored the try against New Zealand in 1903 would finally be vindicated by a TMO. <laughs> I, I, I'm with Martin on this. I'm, that was a tackle. It wasn't a knocker. I think we're unanimous in that. Martin, uh, Martin, George, we're getting yelled at by the producers downstairs. Unfortunately, this we're out of time today, but I just want to thank you guys, Mr. George Hook, Mr. Martin Pingelli, and Mr. Steve Lewis, calling in from the Pig & Whistle, our favorite rugby pub here in New York City. Gentlemen, we'll be back next, uh, next time. Same bat channel, right, George? I'll be there. All right. That's it. Matt McCarthy on behalf of Mr. George Hook, Mr. Steve Lewis, and Mr. Martin Pingelli for Rugby Wrap-Up here at the Fantasy Sports Network, Studio 34, here in New York City, signing off. <laughs>